Good morning, Carl. Uh, I'm here with Carl Poland, CIO of the Arizona State Retirement System, uh, ASRS as we call it. Uh, ASRS, depending on the day, is worth about $45 billion worth of uh, uh, portfolio value. And uh, Carl presides over all the investments and asset management decisions for the plan, including it's uh, $8 billion or so allocated to real estate. Carl, uh, welcome to our program, and we are delighted to have you today. Uh, perhaps uh, before we get started, I'm, I kind of wonder, how are you personally holding up with the pandemic, and uh, what do you do to stay both sane and fit? Well, we're holding up fine. I mean, uh, my wife and I have renewed our acquaintance. We uh, used to be very busy and, and barely see each other some days. We are now in almost constant contact and both pleasantly surprised how much we like each other and seem to be able to get along. So that's uh, very good news and uh, welcome in uh, many regards. The, uh, um, you know, personal life is completely different. We miss the gyms are closed. Uh, we live in a nice neighborhood in Phoenix that's, uh, you know, we've had, we've taken advantage of the opportunity to get acquainted with a few more of our neighbors. Uh, it's become, you know, a walking hub. The roads in our neighborhood are quiet and pleasant and they're constantly occupied with uh, walkers, and so I've been going four or five miles a day walking my dogs and, and so forth, so I haven't had, um, you know, fitness is a relative term for me, but I haven't had adverse consequences as a result of the coronavirus. Right. Great. Well, good. Thank you. So uh, before we launch into the content itself, uh, can you describe in high, in, in broad terms, uh, the ASRS investment program before COVID-19. What does it look like? How was it made up? What were the basic essence of the strategy? Super high level. Sure. Uh, ASRS, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, uh, where our current assets are approximately $40 billion. Our balance sheet has shrunk a little bit as a result of the uh, uh, stock market reaction, in particular. So, and our and our actual deployment of assets is, uh, you know, quite consistent with the uh, with the strategic asset allocation. Great. What um, what happened since uh, the beginning of March? Well, it's still playing out, of course. Um, uh, as everybody knows, the stock market. Uh, reacted very strongly initially to the initial virus impacts and news. Uh, the S&P 500, um, you know, which peaked at around 3,400 in uh, the middle of February, within four weeks dropped to uh, a low of, I believe, 2,300. Uh, by the middle of March. It was a much more rapid drop than anything we previously seen, more severe than a global financial crisis and so forth. But since then, uh, the market has recovered rather, rather significantly to uh, current levels in the neighborhood of 28 or, or 2,900. So since our portfolio is 50% equities, that is directly seen. 
in uh, and the primary reason our uh, portfolio has declined by four or five billion dollars. Um, the impacts on the on the credit and real estate portfolio, which are largely held in private markets, aren't fully known yet. Um, what we've seen in terms of marks from the real estate fund universe has been a very mitigated response as uh, you know many folks you know who may be viewing this from the real estate community would know the odyssey index was actually up for the first quarter a small amount less than one percent but positive and at least my view is that doesn't reflect the reality of what's going on i think that uh, there, there clearly are impacts in the real estate um, uh, world as a result of this, even though uh, there's a fair amount of uncertainty, um, you know, the depth of those impacts and the permanence of those impacts on different property types is, is yet to be fully understood. In our credit portfolio, uh, we have a very good quality credit portfolio. Nevertheless, we have... Um, you know, some, uh, you know, write downs in that portfolio as a result of mark to market, although we believe our credit portfolio will be much good as we get to the other side of, of these, of these events. So we'll come back to what you're working on and what's coming up next. Uh, before we get there, um, observing or looking back over the past month and a half of this pandemic being announced and dealt with, et cetera. What has surprised you so far? What turned out different than what you would have expected? The, so far, and of course it isn't over yet, the stock market response has been less severe than I would have anticipated. Right now, the stock market, if you look at the S&P 500, and there's differences depending on which markets you look at, the S&P 500 is, uh, uh, you know, representative of what's going on in the stock markets. The S&P 500 is only about down, is only down about 15% right. uh, compared to its peak in February and is down, I think, less than 5% compared to a year ago. This, the events of the coronavirus are more severe than in the real economy than anything we've seen in our lives. Um, you know, everybody on the call is less than 100 years old and none of us were around for the Great Depression. So, uh, so in all, all of our lives, we've never seen anything like this. Uh, at its peak, the unemployment rate during the global financial crisis was 10%. We're likely to see unemployment rates 20% or even higher. So this is in the real economy twice as bad as the global financial crisis, yet so far, we have a much smaller response in the, uh, in the stock market. So that's the big question mark for me is how this is gonna play out in, in the stock market. The, you know, the activities of the central banks, uh, not just of the United States, but across the globe, have injected massive amounts of liquidity to support um, every liquid market, really, but especially uh, credit markets. And uh, when credit markets are supported, that automatically supports uh, supports the stock market. And whether 
uh, central bankers can maintain that asset effect through their actions is, uh, you know, it remains to be seen. Everything about this is unprecedented in, uh, uh, in the modern economy, although the activities of the central banker, central bankers so far have been uh, very effective in avoiding a, what potentially could, could have been a much worse uh, outcome for, uh, for the economy. And maintaining uh, higher asset values is supportive of the economy through uh, you know, what's commonly called the wealth effect. Yeah, if the stock market had dropped you know, below 2000, uh, things would be far worse in terms of um, uh, people's ability and willingness to spend the money and the ability to uh, claw your way back would be much harder. So range to be seen, uh, but uh, I never would have guessed. See unemployment at 20%, and yet the stock market would only be off 15% compared to a prior peak. So the stock market is pricing in uh, that the worst is behind us, at least as far as the economy is concerned, and the outlook for the next year or two is that things will only get better from here. Do you think the stock market is right or do you think they're wrong and there's going to be another correction, uh, significant correction in the stock market? And I know you don't know, but I wonder what your opinion is. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, my, my personal more bad news. Uh, I think clawing our way out of this hole is is going to be harder than what's discounted in the stock market right now. Uh, what's discounted in the stock market right now, and that uh, we will see, um, you know, some further uh, dips in the stock market. Now, uh, that said, I don't know. I hope I'm what? wrong. I, I hope it, it just. I hope we have a V-shaped recovery and they discover a vaccine soon and we forget this in a year or two. Um, uh, but um, that wouldn't necessarily, that wouldn't be my forecast. So in your view, the uh, trigger to another downturn or to a W-shaped uh, type of a stock market <clears throat> behavior would be um, bad news on the, vaccine, on, the, uh, on the pandemic side, not having a vaccine and having a reoccurrence uh, and a break, uh, re, re breakout of the uh, pandemic? A second wave in the, in the pandemic, particularly if, uh, if it's more virulent and has higher death rates would obviously be hard on the stock market. And the other thing that it, it also could be death by a thousand cuts. I think that uh, while some businesses are Unimpacted, uh, you know, many tech Amazon and other tech companies are going well in in this environment, uh, but uh, large sectors of the economy are, are are just not doing well at all, right. um, including many retailers and restaurants who have gone to essentially zero revenue. Um, and as we come back from this, we may see significant earnings disappointments. Last year, the S&P 500 had aggregate earnings per share of around $140 to $150. The current price of the stock market 
is about 20 times that earnings level. So it feels fully priced. Um, I've seen some studies that suggest that the decline in earnings of the stock market will be 20 or 30% lower. And that seems to be the scenario that the stock market has priced. Um, you know, earnings are lower. On the other hand, interest rates are lower. Those work against each other. So you would expect earnings multiples to be higher as we get to the other side of this. The question is, is what's the earnings going to be? Nobody knows what the earnings are going to be. And if we have, if, if the consensus instead of earnings are going to be 120-ish or something like that comes So, uh, given that view of the world right now, what are you doing in your life? How are you, what are you buying? What are you selling? What are you emphasizing? What are you, what are you de-emphasizing? How do you think about current activities and uh, uh, what's the strategy? We have been trading tactically to a degree. In the, in the stock market, uh, we did, back in February, um, we became concerned uh, that the stock market was overvalued and we did begin selling um, and did sell some, did, did sell at prices um, that were near, uh, near the peak. Um, we have, and, and as a result of those sales, we did successfully accumulate additional, additional shares at lower prices you know, around 3,000 and we did some buying below 2,500. So that was good. Um, but we have net liquidated uh, assets and we are uh, carrying a relatively high cash balance of around a billion dollars to be uh, for opportunities as they arise. We have been very active and in close communication with our partners uh, um, to be able to respond quickly to opportunities. Uh, as you know, many folks listening to this would know, there was a considerable amount of, of stress in certain mortgage markets uh, with folks who had used repo lines to finance mortgage portfolios around the end of March when those uh, portfolios were marked to market. And we did successfully invest a couple hundred million dollars in very distressed positions, um, you know, over a single weekend actually, um, as those opportunities emerged. Um, but right now we're kind of in a holding pattern. This feels, you know, maybe it's the eye of the storm. It's either the eye of the storm or the storm is over. Um, our intention, uh, if we have another dip in the stock market, is to make large purchases in the stock market, and uh, we're hopeful that we'll have similar opportunities in both real estate and credit as um, 
as things play out. Right? There's been a good bit of forbearance, which has been a good thing. Uh, the, the central bank has encouraged its member banks to uh, be gentle with its borrowers and uh, grant payment and covenant forbearance. As those forbearance run uh, periods run off, um, you know, there's a, a a chance, if not a likelihood, that there will be you know considerable stress and opportunities emerge over the next three to six months. Carl, how liquid uh, do you find the markets to be across all the categories? Private markets, public markets. You know, have restored their liquidity. There were a couple of weeks in the middle of March where liquidity was uh, was problematic. It was very expensive to trade. The stock market bid spreads were high. Uh, a lot of people simply withdrew them, withdrew from certain derivative markets, and it was difficult and expensive to trade. Uh, the actions of the Federal Reserve and just simply the normalization as people have gotten used to a new reality have restored relatively normal, if not completely normal, liquidity in public markets. Private markets are still impacted because credit has been slow to come back. People are feeling their way through what, um, you know, what fair pricing is. So M&A activity in general across significantly slowed down um, as folks are, are figuring it out and lenders are rethinking their policies on uh, what loans they want to make and how they want to price credit. Um, so it's all come back. It, it'll be a reasonably orderly process, but it isn't done playing out yet. And, and it's mostly about discovering price and getting comfortable with uh, valuations. Am I right? Uh, yeah, I think that's right. I think if you uh, if you own you know, let's just focus on real estate for a second. If you own a project um, that is, you know, if your tenants are paying, or even if they aren't, uh, and you're getting forbearance from your lenders, you're certainly not in any hurry to sell it. You want more certainty around the pricing process before you decide to sell something. So, folks, uh, nobody's to a significant degree in our observation, capitulating on price. Um, and there hasn't been enough stress in the market as a result of the forbearance to see much in the way of, uh, you know, what you might call forced selling. So the, the, the bid ask on pricing is for the most part, you know, quite, quite wide now. And you just don't see a whole lot of transactions. How much, uh, I know about the wide gap between bid and ask, but I always wonder, I, I know what motivates the ask price. I don't quite understand, and maybe you can enlighten me on um, how rational, uh, what drives the bid ask, because you just mentioned a moment ago that valuation and pricing currently is very opaque. It's hard to decide what it is. So um, what drives bidding prices and how realistic or how, solid outdoor spices if you were just going to look at them from a rational point of view? Well, I think that people 
need to think about risk uh, in the context of the, you know, economic uncertainty. Um, we don't know right now whether you know, coronavirus is a six-month thing or a multi-year thing. If it's a multi-year thing, then uh, the demand for space and the ability of tenants to pay is going to be impacted. And in order to take that risk, you know, there's a couple ways to look at it. One would be that you just don't run your normal pro forma but put a higher discount rate on it. Or, uh, or alternatively, you do super conservative assumptions you perform and assume that for several years there's going to be rent reductions, either because the rental the lower value. Um, so uh, that's certainly how we would look at it. The other aspect of this is just simply liquidity. Um, our balance sheet is smaller. Basically, every, every asset on our balance sheet is smaller, so we have fewer bullets to deploy into risk categories. And so that forces us or encourages us to be more selective about how we deploy the, the fewer and smaller bullets that we have left in our Arsenal. I think our situation is very typical for uh, for an asset owner, uh, fund operators, asset managers. Um, you know, this is potentially a terrific time for them, and they properly are selective in what they're buying to make sure they make the most of of this opportunity to. Uh, get the best results for themselves and their clients. Yeah. So uh, you are in a uh, pretty um, difficult position or challenging position because you do need to make decisions with not a lot of information, lot of, not a lot of certainty. Much of the opportunity will be probably gone. We'll get priced into the uh, pricing once certainty and knowledge is there. So, until history creates itself, what are you doing now? Uh, what are you reading? Who are you talking to? What are you watching? What is it that uh, it helps you create, form your point of view and convey it to whoever, the board or whoever you need to convey it to? Well, one of the you know, advantages of this position is we have pretty rich sources of information. Um, um, I have a good set of colleagues with that I can uh, daily dialogue with them about what they're seeing in the market. Um, we have a very fine set of managers who are our partners in implementing um, various strategies. And I am um, pretty much every day have a phone conference with one of them to get insights into uh, various aspects of the market. Um, we pay attention to news. I read the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Financial Times every day. And uh, I also am a reader. I like to read. Um, and of late, I've been reading a fair amount of economic history around the 1920s in the Great Depression, which was the last time that we went through a reordering of the monetary order uh, that 
are currently experiencing in an effort to gain some insights about um, how to think about things. Um, the information is never perfect and, and nobody has a, has a crystal ball, but I find these activities um, helpful in organizing my thinking and uh, you know, preparing to make uh, the decisions we need to make. So you're now in a holding pattern, you're observing the market, you're watching uh, uh, what, what is how the economy, the pandemic, the economy, and the markets are evolving. <clears throat> you have this network of uh, uh, resources and managers to work with and track the market. What is your outlook today? As of today, what do you think happens for the duration of 2020 and then into 2021? Um, I, I, it depends on, um, I think the fundamental driver is the pandemic. If we have a second wave, that will be, uh, bad. It will, it will hurt the economy. It will hurt markets. If, um, you know, if we don't have a second wave of the pandemic, that I think we are seeing um, what the result is going to be, which is an orderly, perhaps painfully slow, but orderly resumption of, uh, of activity. And that leads to what kind of economic and maybe real estate uh, outcomes in 2020 and 2021 when it comes to values and uh and transaction activity yeah exactly when you look at real estate markets um it boils down to you know demand and and in this environment the ability of tenants to pay so we're um focused on um you know we have a positive outlook on as most everybody does i'm we're, we're I wish we had unique insights and ideas, but pretty much as every, everybody's figured out the same thing, but we're positively disposed towards uh, industrial real estate and residential real estate. Industrial real estate, if anything, seems to be strengthened by these events because of increased reliance on e-commerce and logistics. Residential real estate will be by the ability of tenants to pay based on their employment status, but people need a place to live. And we think that the uh, overall trends in residential real estate uh, will continue to be positive. Coming out of the last crisis, the last crisis was in part caused by, or at least was um, accompanied by an excess supply in housing. We learned that last war and, and if anything housing has tended to be undersupplied over the last 10 years so we think residential will, will be good office uh we'll see um there's a lot to be learned about you know how office will be used again we don't know the course of the disease in the future if we have to figure out how to live with the virus for multiple years and social distancing will continue to be part of our lives and will impact how people think about offices. If, on the other hand, we discover a virus pretty soon, my guess is, is that in a year or two, we'll, we'll lose our 
you know, we'll, we'll forget this. It'll be just something that happened and we'll be back to where we were. So I think there's going to be some impacts on office, but it, but basically really hard to forecast how that's going to, how that's going to play out. And we'd be cautious about thinking about, um, how to invest in office. Certainly we'd want to invest in office that has, um, you know, the type of infrastructure that would be flexible to meet evolving needs in how space is used, and particularly with uh, environmental features, including air treatment, things like that, that would help make uh, the use of the space safer. Retail, of course, is impacted. Um, we've in the in the span of two months, we've probably accelerated uh, five years of transition to the inevitable, which is greater use of e-commerce and uh, uh, challenges uh, with brick and mortar retail. Um, we're already seeing bankruptcies in retail and, and we're going to see more and uh, that's going to create great challenges for um, uh, categories of uh, particularly mall type categories of, of retail real estate. What's your outlook for grocery center anchored uh, local neighborhood centers? Uh, pretty good. Um, grocery stores have obviously done well. It's a difficult path back for restaurants, but I think uh, people will return to dining out and that will be, continue to be an important part of, of uh, people's lifestyles and an important commercial spending prior to the pandemic people spent about you know half their spending on food was in dining out uh, now that's you know i'm down you know probably below 10 percent it's zero in our house um i think that will come back and you'll continue to see um you know you'll see a resurgence of restaurants hopefully sooner rather than later um and uh people will continue to value that. Same thing for fitness. See, fitness has a difficult path, but people like going to the gym. And so, you know, the types of neighborhood centers that include grocery, restaurants, uh, and other, you know, salons, other types of uh, necessity retail, um, and also have either in the same center or nearby fitness centers, I think those will continue to be positive property types. Um, they may be impacted from a value standpoint in the near term because I think the path back for some of those uses may take uh, more than a year uh, or even two years to get fully functional again. So you, you wouldn't recommend selling them and uh, you, you may or may not want to buy them at today's prices, but in the long run, you see uh, good value and opportunities in neighborhood centers. Yeah, I mean, we'd be on the lookout for opportunities to invest in neighborhood centers if we thought we could get, um, you know, a good, uh, a good price. My, my guess is, is that if you own them, you're not going to sell them. Uh, but maybe there's some folks that will be in a situation where they need to uh, uh, shrink their balance sheet and reduce their leverage, and that may create some opportunities. Time, time will tell. So you have uh, artfully avoided answering my question about what happens later this year and next year, even in the in the case that uh, the, the the first case, the one that says 
the worst is over. We are beginning to see the awakening. So uh, if you don't mind, let me take you back there and see if I can push on you to answer a bit more specifically. By the end of this year, um, if that's the case, if we don't have a W in, in the pandemic and rebreaking of the uh, or, or a, or a uh, second plague, what, uh, what do you expect values to look like at the end of this year? What do you expect values to end up at the end of the following relative to where they were before? If we're on an orderly economic recovery, um, and disease rates remain low, we don't have a second wave, and we're having an orderly reopening of, of businesses. Um, you know, we, I think if we got back to single digit unemployment by the end of the year, that'd be pretty good and a sign that we're on the path to normalization. And I think you can see financial markets back to uh, relatively normal, like like the S and P above three thousand. If um, uh, if that happens, we are in what will be uh, a long term, you know, environment of, of of lower interest rates. The ten year Treasury is below one. Last I looked, it was fifty or sixty basis points. And in that environment, uh, assets will be valued at higher prices uh, simply because the discounts rates are are lower. And so you'll see that across all assets. Um, the you know the interesting thing is is that uh, you know 20 years ago a 60/40 portfolio was sort of the normal benchmark portfolio, and you would have um, you know, riskier investments in the stock market that you thought, you know, would grow in the long run, but then you were anchored by fixed income investments. And, and in those days, the fixed income that you would make was five or six or seven or eight percent, depending on the year. Now, fixed income is essentially fixed at zero. So it is going to impact how people think about asset allocation and uh, and to the extent people want a fixed income, meaning a steady cash flow as part of their portfolio, which many people will want, it's rational to want in your portfolio to be positive on, you know, for assets like real estate that produce uh, steady cash flow and see, I, I think you'll see cap rates uh, inside of they were even when we thought they were frothy a year ago. So, I, you know, if it, if it, even if it takes two years to get back to 5% unemployment, uh, once the stock market and asset markets in general perceive that is happening, if, if we don't have a double dip on the virus, um, I, even though the economy won't be back to full speed by the end of the year, once the financial markets see that happening, I think the financial markets will be back to uh, normal, you know, a year or so in advance of the actual real economy being back to normal. So with that in mind, um, let's switch to the second case where we do have a W. I know two basic, two, the two parts. Uh, 
So uh, I'm going to give you a case that the second wave um, comes and, uh, in, in the summer and lasts uh, through the fall. So November, December, we begin to reopen the economy and hopefully we don't have a third uh, outbreak. If that's the case, uh, then give me your two-year outlook uh, thereafter. The, that's a depressing scenario. And again, I'm going to be incredibly vague, but here's what worries me about this is the psychological impact. And understanding psychological impacts is very, very important about understanding what happens in the macro economy. That's why the statements of the Federal Reserve are, um, you know, are so carefully crafted uh, to signal their expectations about the economy. Um, and so let's paint a scenario where, and look at it from the perspective of, say, uh, a small business person. Let's say you own a restaurant or two and you've been you've enjoyed success and have been you know running a restaurant but restaurants when you own a restaurant it's kind of like you own a job uh folks who own restaurants don't do accumulate a whole lot of capital even though they may enjoy you know from time to time pretty good uh cash flow if the restaurant is well um uh attended the and so picture the scenario where it's now June and you think, okay, I'm going to reopen, but you've gone two or three months without any cash flow. And I've talked to some restaurant folks who actually got a PPP loan and they're deciding to forego the grant aspect and are not in paying their employees, but they're going to use that money because it takes capital to reopen. You have to bring on staff, you have to buy supplies, you have to retrain, and it's, you know, it takes, it takes some money to do that. Let's say you go through that whole process and then get reopened and it's now July and business is a little slow and you're not really making any money, but you're in business. And then it's October and then you hit a second wave and then whether or not the government orders you to close, nobody's coming to the restaurant. And uh, you are, you know, effectively close, but not you want to be. Whether the whether small business people, um, you know, have the financial wherewithal to go through another closure and another to put themselves through that, I think is, uh, you know, when you multiply that process by tens of thousands of businesses, the potential impact on the economy is uh, uh, potentially very great and quite difficult to come back from. And even though large businesses um, are very important, um, you know, to, and, and tend to be the gauge of how we think about how, how the economy is doing. Large businesses can't do well if small businesses are failing because the small businesses are their customers. So I am, you know, my nightmare if I, you know, I don't, you know, but one of the, when you do these interviews, one of the questions 
that people ask is, what keeps you up at night? And I never have an answer for that because I don't tend to work. Uh, this keeps me up at night. If we have a second wave that we, where we have a partial reopening and then a second wave that requires closures, I think is potentially quite severe and very difficult. Uh, will, will be a very difficult circumstance that um, will affect all our lives in, uh, in a very significant way. Uh, one, only one of them being how financial markets react. So, Carl, you know, in the world where you want to plan for the worst and hope for the best, if that's the worst, what does the plan look like for that worst case? Uh, keep your powder dry. Um, you know, um, be prepared to take advantage of it. ASRS will do, will manage this. I mean, you don't, you know, my, my worry about the, the more severe scenario is based on compassion for fellow human beings, not whether ASRS can manage it. ASRS will be able to manage it sooner or later will come out on the other side of this virus. It's just a question of how painful the path is. ASRS will manage its way through the crisis. We will, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we'll, uh, we'll end up owning more assets and we'll have bought some of them cheaply. From an investment perspective, a W is better than a V. Uh, you know, if, if what we've seen so far is the only thing that happens, that's going to happen in financial markets, then, uh, you know, uh, then there wasn't much opportunity to, in effect, capitalize on difficulties in the market. We have, uh, you know, nearly $20 billion in liquid assets that we can buy and sell on a daily basis, which gives us tremendous power to take advantage of dislocated markets. So from a market standpoint and from a standpoint of health of ASRS, in the long run, W in a sense is a better scenario because it means we'll be able to buy assets cheaply, which will create tremendous value uh, for the long run. Let's hope we don't have to uh, live with a, with a down case. So um, just to kind of wrap it up, uh, I'm curious, uh, what do you think will be the May surprise? Uh, early June, uh, when people look back May, they will be surprised by what? The calmness of May is the, is the surprise of May, the absence of, um, of uh, much uh, motion in markets um, is, the, is the surprise for May. Great. Thank you. We'll hold you accountable for that and we'll probably try to talk to you in early June and see if your surprise came, uh, came true. Uh, Carl, it's been great uh, chatting with you. I appreciate you taking the time and sharing your views. I do want to emphasize that these are your personal views. I'm sure you'd like me to do that. They don't represent uh, ASRS official positions, uh, and uh, you are here uh, strictly as an individual representing his own personal points of view. Am I correct about that? 
that is correct. Good. Well, thank you. Uh, stay healthy, stay well, and uh, we look forward to catching up with you uh, real soon. So long, Carl. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. Bye.